Good morning, everyone. I think this is the start of the integration of the ages. <laughs> okay, we will read our Bibles and open your Bibles. So that's to the book of Psalm, chapter 78, and we'll read from verse 1 to 7. And hope will start. My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Um, we are continuing our sermon series about um, our values, who we see ourselves being, where God is, where God is calling us. And today we're looking at this idea that um, our gatherings as a church family are participatory where everyone is involved. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to jump into God's word, but first, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather again um, as your family around your word. We pray that you would speak to us. We would be challenged and encouraged uh, by what we find uh, you uh, speaking to us today. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, if you want to turn to your Bibles and you want to turn to Acts chapter 16... That would be really helpful. Um, In Acts 16, we find a story of Paul and his missionary partner, Silas, in prison. Uh, They have been placed there for telling people about Jesus and demonstrating his power in really astounding ways, which threw the city in an uproar. Uh, So they didn't know what to do with these men uh, other than we just want to get rid of them. So they threw them in a dank, dark cell to rot. Uh, And I want to pick up the story in Acts 16, starting in verse 23. This will also appear on the screen. If you can read this, um, it's very small, but that's all right. If you have your Bibles in front of you, um, it says this. um, After they, this is Paul and Silas, had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, "'Don't harm yourself!' We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, 
Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This man's story here is quite breathtaking. Uh, In a matter of minutes, it seems, he goes from uh, attempting suicide to his entire family coming into the knowledge of Jesus. It's pretty incredible, that, that change. Imagine if you were one of this man's children, right? You, you come home and you see your dad and he's kind of all over the place. Um, and this, this scene happens. Uh, picture what this might look like even decades down the road, right? Imagine you're the jailer's son. Uh, and you're sitting around a dinner table with your small children, right? And they ask you, Dad, why is it that we pray to Jesus every night? Why do we believe in him? And the jailer's son, I imagine, with a smile on his face, proceeds proceeds to tell the story. Well, kids, it goes like this. Pop, pop, that's my dad, your grandpa, was working one day. He was ordered to guard the worst prisoners, the vilest offenders, and he had one job. To make sure that they don't escape. But you know Pop-Pop. He can't stay up late. And he fell asleep like he does. Then a great loud crash startled him awake. And he he got his torch and he looked around. And all the doors had popped off. And all the chains had fallen off. And he knew he had failed his one job. And the Roman government, well, they're not a very forgiving boss. And Pop-Pop knew that he, he he was a dead man. So he picked up his sword to end it all before his batty bosses got to him when he heard a voice speak through the darkness. Stop, the voice said. He looked around and he saw these men, men who he had known had been with Jesus. And in that moment, Pop-Pop didn't know what to do. The prisoners could still escape. He could still be punished, killed even. And he fell down in desperation and begged, how can I be saved? How can I be rescued? What hope do I have to get out of this mess? When one of those men reached his hand down and pulled Pop-Pop up, the next thing that happens, these men come to our house. Pop-Pop woke us up as we listened to these men talk about Jesus, this Jesus who saves, who rescues. And one of them, his name was Paul, held my hand and he smiled at me. And he told me everything was going to be all right. That Jesus not only loves Pop-Pop, but me and my brothers and sisters and mom as well. And we ate, and we laughed, we played games together. And I saw how these men loved my dad, the very man who chained them up to that wall. By the end of the day, we knew, because these men loved us, that Jesus was for real. And our whole family believed. And so tonight, we sit around this table, and we eat, and we laugh, and we share a meal, and we're thankful because Jesus is real. He rescues us in our time of need. And we share this good news with you so that you can share it with your kids one day. And they can share it with theirs. Imagine that story. We get a glimpse of Acts, in Acts 16 of something God does. As Leon said earlier, he rescues individuals. He saves us. But he doesn't stop there. God rescues families. Communities of people. Young, old, kids, grandparents. 
Parents, throughout the Bible, you have this pattern on display that no matter who you are, what age or stage of life you find yourself in, you are family because of what Jesus has done. And then we are encouraged to share this good news with our kids, grandkids, siblings, parents, grandparents, aunties, uncles, second cousins, twice removed, in-laws, outlaws, whoever. But we are also to do the same thing with the rest of our family, our church family. Those people we find ourselves gathering with on Sundays, uh, in homes throughout the week, in cafes and shopping malls, that across biological ties and across age demographics... We should walk alongside one another, encouraging one another, learning from one another the good news of Jesus. You see this mentioned uh, in Psalm 78 that Sanchita and Hope read for us earlier. The author of this psalm said that we are going to talk about the power and works and wonder of the Lord from one generation to the next. All of us are involved in this process. This story that we've received from our ancestors, we're going to pass down to our children And to their children, so that they will put their trust in God, keep His commands, and not forget His deeds. And that sounds really wonderful, doesn't it? One generation tells the next, and we're all involved in this process. But how often do we actually do this? How often do we see this happen? How often do we look to all of us participate in worship, building one another up, growing in our relationships with one another, sharing our faith with other generations. Uh, It's easy to view church as a building, right, that we come to once a week, uh, in which I am just an audience member, where I come and I get filled up, and then I leave uh, to go and do life on my own as an individual. Uh, And Daniel kind of talked about that last week. But is that the biblical picture of sharing life together? of young and old, knowing and encouraging one another, of each person contributing and viewing church as family rather than a building? Is that that even possible? Can we even do that? Well, I really love a good story. Uh, And so I thought, um, it is possible. And the best way to do that is to tell a story of how that's been done. So I thought we'd spend the next few minutes hearing some stories about what it looks like to be an intergenerational and participatory participatory church where everyone is involved in this process, a gathering of randoms who have been made family by Jesus who care for and walk alongside one another, young people giving wisdom to grandparents, kids encouraging adults. Uh, And so I'm going to have some some people help me to tell some stories, first of all, of how they've experienced this in their own life. So first, I'm going to invite my friend Sophie Brocklebank up. And uh, Sophie is going to come up, and she's one of our um, amazing youth kids. And um, just a few stories, uh, a few questions for you, Soph. Say hi to everybody. Hi, guys. (laughs) Say hi to Sophie, everybody. Excellent. Um, Cool. First question, uh, what's a a story of how you know Jesus is real in your life? Um, So, um, I was just going to say that Basically, I feel like as I've sort of grown up, I've had to become more independent in my faith as someone who's always grown up learning about Jesus in church. And in the past couple of years, that's really helped me to understand the importance of a relationship with God and Jesus and how powerful that can be. And I feel like my life has definitely been changed for the better, like from my outlook on life and how I choose to live every day, especially in the past year doing the HSC. Um, 
because I've had to rely on God and the fact that he has a plan on my life through all the stress and stuff. And, yeah, I feel like that's just really comforted me in, like, the exam period that I've just been through. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, who are the people um, in, in this church or in your life who have shown you uh, Jesus, and how have you come more like Jesus because of those people? Um, so definitely, like, Sunday school leaders and youth leaders. But I have, like, a particular example. So one of my youth leaders, Nicole, she um, was really important in my journey with God because for a while I didn't have really many connections outside of just church every Sunday and I stopped going to youth for a little while because I was like you know what's the point if I'm already going to church but um Nicole sort of like firstly as my youth leader she was just very approachable and stuff and so like she made it feel like you know like we were friends or sisters in Christ which made me like helped me to see the importance of creating actual relationships, like close Christian friendships with others. So you don't just go to youth to learn about God and play games, but also to like create connections with other Christians and yeah, to help create a community of people who support each other. So yeah, that was important. And also I think with Nicole as well, um, she was like very honest and open in the discussions that we had in small group times. And that was really helpful because I could see how she relied on God in, like, hard times and, like, through her struggles. And then that helped me to sort of see how that could help me, yeah, in my life. Awesome. So you've been, you've been invested in by all these different people, Sunday, yeah. group leader, uh, Sunday school leaders, um, people, youth leaders like Nicole and countless others. Um, what people then do you invest in and, and why, why have you chosen to invest in and serve other people? Yeah, so um, I'm a kids Arvo leader, so that's like primary school age kids. And um, I think that like it's a very important ministry because my church leaders when I was in primary school helped me to see how amazing God is and encouraged me in being a Christian and sharing God with others, which is what I try to help the kids Arvo kids see. But it's also important for these kids to become involved in church ministries like kids Arvo because I feel like they'll be more encouraged to come along to youth, which is where I felt the most impacted because I could just understand it better because I was older. Um, but, like, I think it's still important because these kids are really smart and capable of learning at a young age, even though it may seem a bit out of their depth. And so, yeah, I think it's important to tell them how Jesus can impact their lives. And, yeah, I just think it's a good time at the end of the week, you know, Friday afternoon, for them all to come together and, like, once again create a community of Christians who want to learn about Jesus. Awesome. Thanks, Soph. Can we give her a hand, everybody? It's really amazing to hear about, yeah, someone's invested in you, and then you want to turn around and invest in others because of that example that's been set for you. Um, My friend Joan is going to come up, and she's going to, I'm going to ask her those same questions. Joan's someone uh, who has been very... Um, influential in our family, and I thought she is a great picture of how this is being done as well. And so, Joan, same stories, for questions for you. Uh, what's the story of how you know Jesus is real in your life? Well, when I was seven years old, uh, we had a missionary come into my Sunday school uh, to give a talk, and at the end of that talk, she, she told us that each and every one of us was special to Jesus, and that each and every one of us had a special gift, at which point 
I thought, except for me. Um, I had very low self-esteem at that point, liked to sort of be in the background, but I liked to listen intently to everything that was going on. She then went on to, to mention various gifts, and at the very end she said one of the most important gifts you can have is the gift of listening, and I was like, oh, <laughs> that's me, that's me. So huge excitement, but I still sat still and quietly, and that was when I first felt Jesus really in my life, and that has stayed with me ever since. Wow, it's amazing. Um, who, who are the people... Uh, who, who have shown Jesus to you, and uh, how have you become more like Jesus because of those people? Well, I did Crash for Bible study, and when I first started, um, I didn't know any of the young mums apart from Heidi. Um, just went along for a couple of hours to mind the children, but they were just so appreciative to me. I was blown away let me know that what a difference it made to them, that they could study the word, uh, have some grown-up time, socialise a little bit without having to worry about the little ones. And they always took the time to, to ask me how things were in my life mm. and encourage me and really made me feel part of the group. So, so then for me, I struggled to say that made me feel more like Jesus rather it made me strive to be more like Jesus. Mm. And to remember that the small things that you do are just as important as major things that you do. And you, you really never know just how, how you can touch people with small things in life. Yep. Um, to, to be always interested in people, caring, encouraging. Um, yeah. Excellent. And how, how um, yeah, who, who are the people that you're investing in now and why are you doing it? Well, I go to play group because I love children. So I have fun with them. Uh, so this is, a, this is a group that meets on Wednesdays of young parents and, and their, their toddlers and kids that you have no relation to whatsoever, right? Yeah. You, just, you just show up and hang yeah. out and care for them. Yeah. Yeah? Yep. Continue, that, sorry, keep going. Because that awesome. Yeah. I mean, last Wednesday I walked in and one little boy just threw his arms around my neck, gave me the biggest hug, and already I feel like a million dollars. So <laughs> I feel like they're doing me the favour, not me doing them the favour. Mm. Um, on the other side of the coin, it keeps you grounded because one day one little girl with her big blue eyes looked up at me and said, Joan, you are a very old lady. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I know, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> moving right along. <laughs> and I, you, you, I, sorry. No, I, go ahead. I, I like meeting with young people, um, sort of finding out how life is for them as a young mum, as against how it was with me as a young mum, because times change. I want to be sort of up to date with how things are. I can listen to their struggles if they have any. I can be excited with them when the children achieve new things. Um, we can swap stories. Uh, hopefully they can learn something from me and I can learn from them. Uh, and then finally I babysit for a couple of church families. Again, because I love the kids and these families don't have um, family actually even in the country. So it's hard. So I love to go, and it helps them. Awesome. That's it.
Thanks, Joan. Okay. Can we say thank you to Joan? The funny thing is, you know, these are very simple pictures that have this profound influence of someone investing in someone else who then goes around and invests in someone else, right? Uh, whether it's even just watching someone's kids or teaching at uh, Kids Arvo or whatever, uh, even the little things that we do have this huge difference, make this huge difference in people's lives, and it shows us Jesus when we do that to one another. A few years ago, um, a massive study was undertaken in hundreds of churches around the U.S. Um, the purpose of the study was to determine what elements uh, contributed to kids and teenagers sticking with their faith after they graduated from high school. Uh, in most churches worldwide, uh, it's a common and major problem, actually. Young people dropping out of church once they hit their late teens and, and their 20s. And uh, in a survey that followed thousands of teenagers in 500 different churches, um, they studied eight elements that created what they called a sticky faith, a faith that lasts. Uh, and in her book about these findings, author Kara Powell writes this. She said, Our research team had hoped to find one thing youth workers could do that would be the silver bullet of having a sticky faith. We were searching for that one element of youth ministry programming that was significantly related to higher faith maturity, standing head and shoulders above the rest. She then says that although there was no one determinative thing, she goes on to say, the closest our research has come to that definitive silver bullet is this sticky finding. High school and university students who experience more intergenerational worship and relationships tend to have higher faith maturity. The best strategy for a faith that sticks is not to shoo kids away at the adult's table at deck time, but to get down on your knee, welcome that child eating your party pie, and say, hello, I'm a 70-year-old grandma, what's your name? This idea that, we, that when we gather, each of us sees value in the other, uh, each of us wants to learn names, to be prayerful, to give of ourselves, that leads to sticky faith in all of us. Each of us has something to contribute to each other. Singled, singles to married people, kids to grandparents, teens to children, widowers to newly married. So if that's the case, if this study, uh, and the Bible even talks about this as something that we should all be doing, how can we as a church community follow this rich and beautiful and biblical model for how we share our faith and walk alongside one another? Well, let me just end with a few thoughts, and then we'll worship together. Uh, number one, this will come up on the screen. Everyone, how do, how, do we, how do we do this? Everyone can venture across the room, right? We all can do this. I'm not saying that the solution for all of you is that we, you all should sign up to be kids' church teachers or NBC youth leaders uh, or sign up for some other ministry, though maybe that is what the Spirit is telling you to do right now. But if we want to be a church where every person feels cared for and loved, it starts by simply going across the room, this room, as we gather uh, in the little New Testament book of Jude, the author ends with this warning to his church family. This is coming on the screen from Jude 17 to 19. He says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. 
They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Now Jude here is saying that there will be people who will mock and judge and tempt and try to divide the church. There's an enemy who uses other people to prevent followers of Jesus from remaining in him. But then Jude gives the church the remedy to this problem. In verses 20 and 21, he says, But you, dear friends, by building one another up in your most holy faith and praying for one another in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. In other words, the remedy to division and people walking away from the church and from Jesus is how we, a bunch of randoms, go across the room to spend time building one another up, praying for one another, and encouraging one another. We should be doing this each and every week with one another. And who we choose to welcome, laugh with, pray with, should not be limited to people who we already know or who are in our own age demographic. Maybe you walk across the room and find a teenager and simply say, my name is such and such, and I'm really glad you're here, and see what happens. But we often get stuck in this pattern, right, where we just, we like our seats, we like the people around us, we're going to stay there. We don't think that maybe I can gain something and someone else can gain something if I simply turn around and say hello or walk to the other side of the room. Another point, how do we do this well? Uh, well, we learn from others who are of a different generation from you. I really, really, really love this example from Psalm 71. This is going to come up on the screen. It says, My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to to all who are to come. This person is saying that his greatest desire is to share his knowledge, experience, and love of God with others, even if he doesn't know how to do it properly. Even if he thinks, well, I don't have anything to contribute. I still want to do this. I can't keep this to myself. He feels God's love is so incredible that he yearns to impress what he has learned on the next generation. Throughout the years uh, since I've been here, I've just passed 10 years being at Narrabeen Baptist Church, which is pretty incredible. But um, I don't know if you... Uh, <laughs> get out. Okay, great. Um, but through that time, I've regularly, um, I've regularly met with a, a man in our church named Jim Thorpe. Many of you know Jim. He's an awesome guy. He's about 50 years older than me. Uh, And he has seen more joy and heartache than I ever have. Um, And he loves Jesus with this deep, deep love. And I want to know his secret. uh, to uh, To learn wisdom from him in what following Jesus looks like through the ups and downs of life. Of health, of age, of parenting, of grandparenting, in feast and in famine. And so... Every once in a while, a couple times a year, uh, I'll go over to his house, we'll have tea together, and we'll just share stories and talk about how one another are doing and spend time praying for each other. It's amazing. 
And I hope that as I gather with him, I'm just learning so much and I'm growing to be more like Jesus because of him. But I also hope that the reason why he puts up with me is maybe, maybe there is something that he wants to learn from me as well. I don't know, but maybe. And it's been one of the best things I've ever decided to do. So find someone you can invest in and be invested in. It's incredibly rewarding. And we can do this any time of the week, any day of the week with one another. Just look around. There's so many opportunities to spend time investing in one another. Third thought, worship as one family. There's no uh, example in the Bible of having separate ministries or services based on age. You don't find the adults gathering in one space to worship Jesus and the kids dropped off at a completely different space uh, across the road before they're even part of this gathering so that, well, now we can begin worship or, or whatever. You don't find older people having a separate gathering so they could sing older songs and listen to longer sermons in a well-lit room and younger people meeting elsewhere to sing newer and louder songs with shorter sermons in a dark, moody room. You don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Nor do you find one person running everything while everyone else just sits there with no say in what takes place. Psalm 148, uh, verses 1 to 13 says this, Kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on the earth, young men and women, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord together. For his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. We get this picture throughout the Bible that we are one family um, called to worship and live out our faith together. Use, or if you're an American, y'all. This is what we are supposed to do together. It's not just you individually, that we're not a collection of a bunch of individuals. We're a family. And this is why we want to strive in our services and our community groups to accommodate everyone, to make everyone feel like they're important, to give space for kids. Um, to engage with youth and young adults, families, uh, to make sure that older people are cared for, considered, and respected. And we hope that there is something for everyone as part of our gatherings. And we hope that if there isn't, uh, you feel excluded, you can come and talk to us about it. There is space for you. And you can still join in and join worship in Jesus in ways and at times that might even challenge you. And that's a good thing. We want to think well about how we engage everyone and get everyone involved. And if you'd like to be part of our service teams and how we think about um, our gatherings on Sunday and how we can do that better to uh, engage with everybody, we'd love for you to be part of that team. You can come and find me or Leon or Kieran. We'd love to have those conversations with you. I'm going to flick to Leon now, and he's going to come and share one last application point from how we can be a participatory and intergenerational church together. So I'm going to flick to him, and uh, then we're going to sing. Well, as you know, in a few weeks' time, come September 1st, uh, we've been discussing various different reforms. Uh, The one that hits the ears, I think, first is the change of time and the consolidation, I guess, of our services, so that there'll be one a.m. service and one p.m. service, at 9.30 in the morning and at 5pm in the afternoon. And that that uh, change uh, will come into place on the first Sunday of September. That's only two weeks away. Um, Father's Day as well. Um, And 
On that occasion, that's not the only change. In fact, over the last several months, we've been working through a number of things as a leadership team that we want to see reformed. It has to do with leadership structures, has to do with the way that we do care and welcome and integration in this place. And one of the things that we decided would needed to happen was this whole preaching series. As we think about um, who it is that we are as we gather and where does God take his church as we move forward. And we recognise that's not something that we drive as a leadership team of six or 12 as a church, or 16 as a church council or as an eldership, but collectively as his body. And that's what today is principally about that participatory nature of church and the the joy and the hardship that comes when you try and do that. As we said a few weeks ago, we make it deliberately difficult to do church when you want to do it intergenerationally. It's much easier to do things where you just do have different homogenous units that gather. Uh, But we think there's great value in the older uh, teaching the younger and the younger blessing and instructing and guiding and invigorating the older and all of the mix is in between. And so the invitation, as Travis has mentioned already this morning, is to think about how that applies to all of us, collectively, and uh, to realise that we do that together. Uh, There's a really important um, paradigm in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul talks about how Christ has gifted the church with various different resources, and he'll talk about the fact that uh, he's given to the church uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, for what purpose? to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. It recognises that all of us are being equipped that we might serve for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up, the very thing we were talking about last week, edified, and that we all contribute to one another. And so we didn't want to give people an opportunity to respond. Some of you are already doing that in numerous different ways. We've heard stories this morning of that taking place. Uh, but the card that you received as you came in this morning is also another way to think about where God might be leading you in uh, works of service, um, how you might be caring or praying or visiting, how you might be serving with various gifts that you might have in areas of creativity, maybe hospitality aspects or leadership areas. And so there's various ways uh, that people can respond. And we've given time to think about um, key areas, but there might be things that are not on this card where you think, I would love to pour into this body uh, and use those things that I've been equipped in in order to edify and build up the body. And so please feel free to write all over the card other ways that you'd love to serve. But we'd love everyone to think through what's on the back of this card and how God might be guiding you. And we actually would love you to respond to that now. But you might want more time than that, so please take the cards away. There's a box in the foyer and you can place them into that box. But as we sing and as we move out this morning, we're going to collect up the cards. If you'd like to hand them in, we'll we'll do that as well. Because we recognise that if we say take it home and sit on it and think on it, you probably will for a bit and then we'll probably never see the card again. But our commitment is to say that we actually want to respond. Uh, Tick a box over the next few weeks, we want to get in touch with everyone who does that. And to think about how we can actually marshal the resources of the body of Christ in this place as God is building his church. Um, We're also indicating on the back of that, if you could also just give us your name and your email. We're going through our database and trying to get as best uh, records as we can at the moment. And it would be super helpful if you have a sense of where you might be worshipping in current in future weeks, whether in the AM service or the PM, if you could let us know that as well. That'll just help us uh, marshal things as well. So if you could just take some time now. Um, The band is going to come. And just in a moment as I pray, you might want to think about how God might be leading Uh, you in your response and how you might desire to care.
One thing Travis mentioned was that idea of perhaps joining up and thinking about the way that we do church and the intentional stuff here. If you look under the thing that says service teams, that's what the core team is about. There'll be a morning core team and an evening core team that joins up with the leadership group and thinks about how we do the Sunday worship gathering. Let me pray for us.